You're listening to the 21st Century Guide to the New Testament series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We've been in our 21st Century Guide to the New Testament now for 24 weeks, so it's been quite a while. I think it's actually probably longer than 24 weeks, but there's been 24 lessons, and it just happens often enough that I don't have time to fit one lesson into one week. But at any rate, we're on lesson number 24, and we're in the book of Philemon. And I heard a song on the radio this week, and it began with very interesting lyrics. Uh, They kind of catch your attention. It started with, it's the hardest thing to give away, and the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those that don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. It takes everything you have just to say the word. And the second verse says, It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you've got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. And it's an interesting song because it sets up something before actually telling you what it is. And thinking about the hardest thing to give away and the, thing, the last thing that's on your mind and the thing that, that you should do but, but the, the person doesn't deserve, is, it's just interesting. What is that thing? And I think probably as we said those lyrics, you knew that that thing is forgiveness. And sometimes I wonder, as Matthew West sat down and wrote that song, if he had this story that we're going to look at tonight on his mind. We're going to look at a story between a man named Philemon and a man named Onesimus. And it's a story of wonderful forgiveness. And, and it's a short book, 25 verses, I think 335 words, not a long letter. Uh, we called it today a, a postcard of Christian grace. And I got the word postcard from Mr. Manning because he was saying it's not a letter, it's a postcard because it's so short. But when I thought about that, I thought, a postcard, what does a postcard do? You send a postcard to somebody because you don't have a lot of space and you want to say I love you, but you want to show a picture of what something beautiful looks like. And, and in a way, this is a postcard of Christian grace because it doesn't say a lot about it, but it does provide for us a beautiful picture of what it looks like. And so this book is a postcard of Christian grace We're going to look at a book that illustrates the title and topic of that song that I said before. It's Forgiveness. And this book is one of my favorite books in the Bible. As much as it's so short, and as much as it is not, we wouldn't call it theologically or doctrinally rich, it is a beautiful, beautiful story. A man named John Phillips, commentator, said this, It is a marvelous little memo full of tact, persuasion, personal glimpses, and Christian grace. No Roman general planning the best way to subdue a city could have covered all of the approaches with more meticulous care than did Paul when laying siege to Philemon's soul. Paul writes a letter of persuasion, and it's a beautiful, charming letter, full of God's grace. In fact, a man named Ernest Renan, who was a 19th century French philosopher, very terrible, terrible theology. Uh, He did not believe that Jesus was God, he thought that Jesus was a Jew who became a Gentile and that, the, that all of the Gospels were about race and not really religion. And so he was a terrible guy, but he hated the rest of the New Testament because he only liked the Gospel of John because that fit into what he was saying. He was actually one of the forerunners to the Jesus seminars, which were terrible as well. But he, though he hated the, the rest of the New Testament, said that Philemon is a true little masterpiece of letter writing. It's a beautiful book, a, a beautiful story. And a much better theologian named Kent Hughes said, 
The letter to Philemon was the most brilliantly nuanced, compelling letter of reconciliation in ancient history. It is a model of grace and charm. So that's the book we're going to look at tonight. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this night. And God, we thank you for your word. And so many times, God, your word is so clear about doctrine. Lord, there's so much rich truth given to us. But in this book, God, we get to see a picture of that doctrine played out and that truth and the power of your grace played out in real life. And God, I pray that you'd help us to see that picture. Lord, I pray that we would understand this story well. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do, that he would apply these truths to our hearts. And Lord, that you'd give us power to change our lives because of what we read. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful. Lord, I thank you that I don't need my wisdom tonight, that we have yours. And I pray that you'd speak. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Author of the book, once again, is the Apostle Paul. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. And, and here, Paul mentions, first of all, that he's a prisoner. And it's, he mentions that because he simply is in prison. He's writing a very personal letter, but he wants to let Philemon know right off the bat where he's at. And then he includes Timothy in the writing of this letter. And, and I'm not really sure why. He also included Timothy when he wrote Colossae which this letter and the book of Colossians both went to the same place because we find out that the church was actually in Philemon's house. And so I wonder if there's a possibility that Timothy visited this place and that they would have known him, and so that's why he includes Timothy. As far as we know, Paul never actually went to Colossae. And so Paul is writing this letter to a man who he knows and who he shared the gospel with, but not to a church he's ever been to. The date of writing was AD 61 to 62, this was in Paul's first Roman imprisonment. He starts out, in verse 9, he says, Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He mentions the bonds he's in in verse 10 and verse 13. And then he finishes in verse 23 with that he's a fellow prisoner of Epaphras. So very clearly he wanted Philemon to know where he was at. It's a Roman prison. The audience was Paul's son in the faith, Philemon. Now, there's not that much we know about Philemon. In fact, his name is only mentioned here in the New Testament. But we know a few things about him just from this book. We know, first of all, that he was Greek. He had a Greek name. Uh, The name Philemon came from the Greek word phileo, which means friendly or or friend. And so his name simply means friendly. He was a resident of Colossae. And we kind of put two and two together that Onesimus was from there. We find that out in the book of Colossians. We find Onesimus was Philemon's slave that Philemon has a church in his house, and so there's a lot, a lot we can kind of put together when we put Colossians and Philemon together. And so we know that he's a resident of Colossae. We know that he was prior and possibly a current slave owner, which means, first of all, that he was wealthy. Um, we don't know for sure that he was a current slave owner, but we do know that he wasn't in the past. And we'll get into the issue of slavery in a little bit. Um, we know that he was a convert of Paul's in verse 19, Paul speaks about the fact that Philemon owes Paul his life. And he's probably not talking about his physical life. He's probably referring to the the new life, the new birth that he's had, that it was because of Paul's ministry that Philemon came to know Christ, came to have new life. We know that he most likely has a godly family. In Philemon chapter 1 verse 2, it says, And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. And when, when we read that, it seems like just from verse 1 where he says, unto Philemon, our, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved or dear Aphia, which is a woman's name, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, it seems like he's starting with his household. 
He's saying to you and to your, your dear, dear wife and to your son, who's, who's also a fellow soldier, so we, we know it seems like he has a godly family, a dear wife and, and a son who could be called a fellow soldier for Jesus Christ. Uh, also in verse 2, we find out that he has a church in his house, which simply means he had a house big enough to hold a church. And if you were wealthy, you would have an upper room, a room above all the rest of the rooms. There wouldn't, it would be just a very large open room. It was much better that way for construction. And so if you're wealthy, you had a house like this, and that's most likely where most of the churches in the New Testament met. Finally, we find out in Philemon chapter 1, verse 4, there's only one chapter, so it's just verse 4, that he was a godly man. It says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. As far as Paul's concerned, Philemon is a, is a godly man, godly family. He's wealthy, has a church in his house. He's a Greek Christian um, who loves the Lord. And so that's what we know about Philemon. So what's the purpose of the book? The purpose is to compel Philemon to demonstrate the grace that he has experienced in Christ on his runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul writes this letter for a very, very specific purpose. He wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus just like Philemon has been forgiven. And what I want to do is I want, first of all, for us to imagine the scene here, and then I want us to go through this book, one verse at a time, and really get the story. Okay, it's a short book, so we have an opportunity to do that tonight. So the scene here, you've got to imagine Tychicus and Onesimus showing up at the Church of Colossae. Well, where is the Church of Colossae? seems like it's in Philemon's house, right? And so they show up, and Tychicus delivers the letter to the church of Colossae, probably finds the elders there. Uh, we know Epaphras was an elder, but he's not there right now. He finds somebody to give this letter to. And then I would guess Onesimus kind of stays outside, stays away, while this second letter is being delivered to Philemon. And so Philemon gets this letter, and he knows Paul. Paul is the one that, that led him to Christ very likely that Philemon was on some type of business trip or for some reason he was in Ephesus while Paul was ministering in Ephesus. Ephesus is very close by to Colossae. And so he heard the gospel while Paul was ministering for three years there. He was saved and he went back and he was a part of this church in Colossae, his his hometown. Colossae is a very small town. So he gets this letter from a man he loves and we already covered verses 1 to 5. So we'll read them quickly and then we'll get into the rest of the letter. Verses 1 to 5 say, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Then in verse 6 he says, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And when you first read that verse, it seems like there's a lot there and we could very easily breeze by it, but it is a wonderful verse. He says that the communication, sorry, that the communication of thy faith, the word there, communication, is koinonia, and it means the distribution. It means the, the way that you're giving out your faith the communication of your faith by your life, by your works, by your speech to the rest of the world, that that communication of thy faith may become effectual. And the word effectual is energes, that's the transliteration of the Greek word, and it, 
I mean, obviously, it's the word energy. It's the word energized. It's that that distribution can be energized. Now, isn't this something, first of all, that, that we all want? I mean, shouldn't we desire that as we go out into our world to share our faith, that, that our communication, that our distribution of our faith has energy and boldness and zeal behind it? Absolutely. And he says, this is how you get that, that it will become energized or effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. How do you get it? You continually think about all the good things that are in you because you have Christ. Or all the good things that you have in Christ. Constantly think about the gospel. About what it, what it does for you. How it has saved you. How it has empowered you. How it has making, made you a child of God. How God has adopted you. Think of all the things that you have in Christ. And when we do that often, then our witness is energized. It becomes effectual. And, and listen, if we were to stop here and not go to the rest of the letter, this would be a good enough truth for us to go home with. This is a wonderful truth. I spent most of my time in this message preparation thinking about what this verse means. If we were just to think constantly about what Christ has done for us and what we now have in Christ, listen, we need to, to understand it and make it true for ourselves. Okay, we need to, you really grasp onto it, you take hold of it. When we, when we understand what Christ has done for us and what we have in Him, then everything that flows from our life is, is energized. It'll produce the type of faith that will be distributed well. And so it is a wonderful verse. He goes on in verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Paul is joy. He has joy. He has comfort. Because he sees how Philemon's actions are refreshing the bowels of other believers. And we don't use the word bowels very often when we speak. Usually when we do, it's kind of gross. But we understand that back then it would have meant, meant your gut feelings. Okay? We often think of it as our heart. But when we speak about our heart, we need to understand that the way that the Bible uses the word heart is slightly nuanced. It's slightly different than the way we do. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's speaking about your mind and your emotions. It's speaking about kind of the, 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 what's you. Right? We understand that your feelings aren't just you. You also have a mind, right? You put those things together, you get your heart. So the Bible separates your mind, your heart, and your bowels. And he's saying that the love that Philemon demonstrates, it gets to the core feelings of these people, their gut. And is it wonderful to be around a Christian who by their love, you're just refreshed? There are people in this church like that. When I'm around them, when I spend a day with them, I'm just excited about the Lord. They're just, they're just, I can't explain it. It wasn't something they said. It was just a, it's just a feeling inside where you're, you're excited, you're refreshed. And that's what Philemon was doing. So he's a good, godly man. But you notice how Paul begins this letter speaking about all the wonderful things about Philemon. And he's doing it for a reason, because he has something that he wants to ask Philemon about. And so he starts in verse 8. Wherefore, though, so because of these things, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Philemon, I want you to know something. I'm going to ask you something that's very bold. Okay? Because of the man you are, I think that I can ask something that's bold like this. But I also want you to know that this is what is convenient. The word convenient doesn't mean just pragmatic. It means 
something that is proper or right. What I'm going to ask of you is something that is right. So what is it? It says, yet for, sorry, what it is, verse, verse 10. Verse 9 is, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I could tell you this and I could command you this, but rather than commanding you to do what is right, I'm going to beseech you that you do it by love. I'm asking you out of love, you ought to do this. Um, it's not love for Onesimus. When I was reading this letter, I, I realized that he's not saying you, you should just love Onesimus because of what he's done in the past. There's no reason to love Onesimus. He's saying, partly because you love me, but even more so because you love the gospel that I brought you. For love's sake, because you love Christ, you ought to, you ought to live this way. You ought to do this. Verse 10. I beseech thee for my son. And everything up to this point is, is wonderful. If you're Philemon and you've been reading this letter, you're thinking, oh yeah, Paul's saying a lot of nice things about you. Oh yeah, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like that, that guy. I've got a nice family. I've got a church in my house. I, you know, I'm trying to refresh other people in the Lord and everything's going well. So that, I want to ask you something bold. And it's like, okay, I'm sure I can handle it. It's been good so far. So what's it going to be? I want to beseech you for my son, Onesimus. And as soon as that name is uttered, I can imagine just a growl, at least wanting to come over Philemon's face. Because we're going to find out what Onesimus had done. He says, Whom I have begotten in my bonds. He is now my son, my son in the faith. Uh, while I was here in, in the prison in Rome, he was saved. He became my son in the faith. And... In verse 11 he says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. He says, in, in the past, this man has been unprofitable to you. Now, I'll tell you the story. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus was somebody who was supposed to be a slave of Philemon, but he had left. He had ran away. He had neglected his duties, neglected whatever was there, probably stole money in the process, and he left and, and ran to Rome because, as Tacitus said, everything bad goes to Rome. That's a paraphrase, but it's, it's basically that. And, and so Onesimus was on his way to Rome because that was the place to be if you had maybe a little bit of money and you just wanted to get away from where you were at. And so he runs to Rome. Now, for us, this doesn't seem like a big deal, but, but we already detest the idea of slavery, right? And so, just for a second, let's talk about what slavery in the Bible is. Okay? Slavery in Rome was very slim, similar to the slavery we understand to be the case. Okay? Terrible. Ownership. People being treated like cattle. That was, it was wicked, awful slavery. But slavery that we find in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when God is speaking about it, and God never, never says slavery is a good thing and never commands it, um, but when we find slavery in the Bible, we find all the time God giving prohibitions on the masters and, and giving worth and value to the slave. Okay? Because the slave was created in the image of God, just like the master. And so the slavery that is laid out in the Bible, or at least if slavery was lived the way that the Bible would command slavery to happen, then it would look very much like an employee-employer relationship 
where you have an employee living with their employer. And so it would be a, a permanent thing. It would be happening all the time, but there would be rights. Okay? It, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be this idea of just complete ownership that you can tell them whatever they want to do because you and the slave both served the same master, ultimately, Jesus Christ, or God. Okay, God was ultimately God of both of you. And so slavery is, is an awful thing, the way we understand slavery, and the New Testament never condones it as saying this is the best way to do things, but the fact of the matter is slavery has been a, a part of life since mankind was created just about. Right? I mean, you look as far back in history as you can, and it's just one nation building their nation on the backs of another nation. It's slavery throughout. And so what God does is he says, this is what the, that relationship should like, look like when you follow Christ, when you follow God. Okay? And so he gives a, a version of slavery that we certainly wouldn't be so adverse to. Anyways, so this is slavery. But what we need to understand about slavery back then is that the punishment for a runaway slave, it was a capital crime, and it deserved a capital punishment. And so very often, they were put to death. That was a very common, if you were a runaway slave, you were caught, you would be killed. At the very least, you'd be beaten and often mutilated. Okay, what they would do is, they would put an F for fugitivus, or a CF for cave furium. So either they would put an F on your your forehead, that meant you were fugitive, or a CF, which meant beware of thief. But that, that you'd be branded for life if they let you live. It was a very, very serious crime. And so Onesimus, he was coming back knowing that his fate might be death or, or something terrible in this life. And Philemon, the culture that he lived in, would have treated this slave as, as a piece of meat, as a piece of cattle, as something that he owned and that he had the right to do whatever he wanted. And this, this is a piece of meat who disobeyed him and rebelled against him. And he would, at least from his culture's perspective, feel like he had the right to do whatever he wanted with them. And this was a, a very difficult, difficult situation. It's funny how Paul could have just kept Onesimus there, isn't it? Avoided all this trouble. Onesimus is doing okay. He's, he's serving God in, in Rome, right? He's serving Paul, helping Paul. He could have... Um, if he would have kept Onesimus in Rome, then Philemon never has to go through this anguish of should I forgive him or not. He just thinks he's gone and he's not dealing with it anymore. It's kind of past and so whatever. And it helps Paul too. But Paul wants to send Onesimus back because he, he thinks this needs to be dealt with properly and he wants to give Philemon the chance to do what is right. And so we are in verse 12. He says in verse 12, Whom I have sent again, Thou, therefore, receive him, that is, mine own bowels. He's here. I want you to receive him like you'd receive me. He is like mine own bowels. Verse 13, Whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. He's saying, Philemon, I would love to have you here personally helping me in the gospel. In fact, it would kind of make sense because I, I led you, Lord, in the per first place, so you, you owe me my life, your life a little bit. I, I'd like to have you here, but I, and I could have kept him in your stead. I could have said, well, Philemon owes me his life, so I'll just keep his slave in Eastmas, 
but I wanted to send him back because if he's going to be helpful for me at all, I want you to give him willingly. I want you to do this because you, you love, because it's right. It says in verse, verse 15, For perhaps therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Maybe God had something to do with this. Okay? Perhaps he left for a season so that he could be saved and come back to you and be profitable for me and for you and for the gospel. Maybe that was God's plan all the time. He's saying perhaps as if, like, obviously that was the case. Does it ever strike you funny how this whole thing worked out? Philemon is saved under Paul's ministry and then Philemon's slave Onesimus runs away and he meets Paul while he's in Rome? Like, what's the chances Paul's going to be in Rome then, in, in the prison? What's the chances that in a place like Rome, the biggest city in the world, that they're going to bump into each other? What's the chance that he's going to find out that Onesimus is actually a former slave, that Onesimus is going to get saved, and that Onesimus is going to have the character to go back to Philemon and to make it right? All of this is just an incredible, incredible happenstance. And yet it was something that certainly got orchestrated and that he knew about from the beginning. And so it's, it's wonderful to see God working in this way. He says, hey, perhaps there's something bigger going on here. And so just step back before you just get angry and punish him and realize what God has done in his life and in your life. So in verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If you love me, prove it. Love him. Verse 18, if he, have, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. You say, no, 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 I can't. I can't just forgive him. You don't understand what he took from me. You don't understand what position he put me in. You don't understand how he hurt my business. If he owes you anything, if he's wronged you in any way, put it on my account. Why would he say that? I, Paul, have written with mine own hand, I will repay it, albeit I do not say, I'm not going to mention, that thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Your eternal life is a direct result of my obedience to Christ in giving you the gospel. And so I'm not going to mention the fact that you're going to spend eternity in heaven rather than in hell, that you have life, real life, because of the ministry that, that, that I had in your life. Uh, but he does mention it. He says he's not going to mention it. He does mention it. And he mentioned it for a reason. It says in verse 20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Just like you refresh other people's bowels, just like you're, you're showing love in your life when it's a little bit easier, now that it's harder, do it for me. Get me excited and refreshed in your obedience here. Give me a reason to rejoice in what God has done in your life. Verse 21, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Talk about a guilt trip there. I'm writing to you confidently because I know you. I know what kind of guy you are. I know you're going to obey. In fact, I know you're not just going to obey. You're going to go way beyond what I'm asking you to do. You're going to do more than I say. Verse 22. But with all prepare me also lodging, for I trust that, that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There's, there's this beautiful expectation of obedience, right? We don't see it often enough. We, we usually expect people to fail, but Paul is expecting him to be obedient. He even says that you're going to be praying for me. I know you're going to be praying for me that I can come to you. And, and think about that. 
I know that you're going to be praying for me to come to you. In other words, I want to come to you and I'm going to know what you do about this situation. I'm going to find out what happens here because I'm planning to come to you. In fact, you're probably, you should be praying that I come to you. That's, Paul is writing just a brilliant letter. Verse 23, There salute thee, Epaphras. And so there's a couple guys here with me that you know, that we both know, that want to say hi to you. First of all, Epaphras, my fellow soldier in Christ Jesus, he is the guy who was your, your pastor, your elder, before he left to help me out. He says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a great letter. What a wonderful story. Paul writes to compel Philemon to demonstrate the grace that, that Philemon has experienced in Christ on his runaway slave, Onesimus. And as I read that letter, I can't help but draw a comparison to the fact that Philemon, at one point, was this runaway slave. He was created for the glory of God, and he rebelled. And he rebelled against God, and he, he lost, separate, lost that fellowship with God. He was the enemy of God for a time. And when he came to God, he was accepted by God with open arms. And now Paul says, that forgiveness, that grace that was demonstrated in your life, you need to demonstrate on another runaway slave who has wronged you far less than you've ever wronged God. And that is the message of Philemon. So what is our lesson? Well, I think there's, there's a few lessons, but I want to focus on two of them. And before I focus on two of them, I'm going to finish what I always do with the outline and the key verse. And so the outline of the book, very quickly, is Paul's love for Philemon, the first seven verses. Um, verses 8 to 21 is Paul's appeal to him on Onesimus' behalf. And verses 22 to 25 is Paul's closing remarks. And the key verse there I chose is Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. It's the one we spent a little bit of time on. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Because I think that verse illustrates kind of what follows in the whole letter. That as you look to Christ more and more and you realize what you have in him, that your faith will become effectual, that it will be energized, that you will do something that, that shows the world what Christ has done in you. And that's what he's asking him to do in this message. So what is the lesson? Number one, the lesson we learn from Philemon is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Desertion, thievery, and disloyalty are some of the hardest things to forgive. If somebody's ever been disloyal to you, if somebody's deserted you, you know what that's like. When somebody's stolen something from you, it hurts. They're hard to forgive. And Paul's message for him is, number one, think of Christ. Start off by thinking about what Christ has done for you, all the good that you have in Christ. Number two in verse eight, it says, this is what's right to do. This is convenient, this is proper, this is right we see number three, that you need to do it for love's sake. You should do it because you love. Not loving Onesimus always. It's not always about the person. It's about your love for Christ. So do it for love's sake. Remember, number four, that God is at work. In Philemon 1.15, Paul draws it back and says, perhaps he had departed for a season so that someday he'd be profitable. In other words, saying maybe God had a plan in all of this. So step back and, and think about what God is doing in your life in this situation, what God is doing in their life in this situation. Maybe God has a bigger plan. In fact, God has a bigger plan, and he's planning to use every situation and every trial you encounter 
to grow you and, and potentially to grow the person you're dealing with as well. And so rather than always jumping to what our feelings demand of us, to reacting in the flesh, why don't we try and think about what God is doing in this situation? Remember that God is at work. Number five, forgiveness must be full. You see the forgiveness here that is expected? It's not like, hey, let, let Onesimus come to your church. You know, don't, don't whip him. Just, I mean, don't kill him. You know, I, I know he did something bad. Just make him feel bad for a little bit. Push him off in the corner and eventually, you know, it'll be all okay. That's not at all the forgiveness that he expects here. The forgiveness he expects is that now you treat him like a beloved brother in Christ. That he's no longer your slave, that he is your brother. That you need to love him like you love Paul. It is a complete, utter forgiveness. It's not a forgiveness with all of these qualifications. Now, we've talked, we've talking, because that's a word, um, we, we've spoken in the past a great deal about forgiveness. And I hope you understand that at this point that when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you constantly put them in a position where they're going to sin again or they're going to be tempted to sin again. Okay, that would be unwise to do. But when you forgive people, it also doesn't mean that you're constantly lording it over their head, that you're treating them different all the time. Right? You don't give them the opportunity to continue in that sin, but at the same time, you don't always hold it over them. And so he's saying, treat them like a brother. Okay? They've been forgiven. And so don't act like you have something to hold against them that God doesn't have to hold against them. Number six, you have been shown grace yourself. Remember that you have been shown grace yourself. Philemon's 119, I've written with my own hand, I will repay. But don't forget, you owe me your life. You owe me your own self besides. And he's drawing his attention back to the fact that his eternal life is because he knows Christ now. And don't forget that what happened to you, the eternal life you have, while you're dealing with this situation where it feels like somebody's wronged you terribly and you want vengeance and you want justice and you want what you think is rightfully yours to have, don't forget the story that I told you about how Christ, who is God, came to die for your sins when you had wronged him. That justice, I, justice happened, but justice didn't happen in the way that it was supposed to happen originally the way that you deserve for it to happen. What happened is the judge came down and took his, the punishment on yourself. Don't, on himself. Don't forget that. Okay? Keep that in mind. Forgiveness. The forgiven must forgive. This is throughout Scripture. This is so clearly seen in, in some of the parables Jesus tells about the unmerciful servant and the king who forgives him and then he won't forgive his own. I mean, we see it all the way through Scripture. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You should forgive others because God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. It's not about how much you're right. It's not about how much they deserve it. It's about thinking about what Christ has done for you and then treating them in a way that, that is congruent with the forgiveness you've received. So first lesson we see is forgiveness. The second lesson we see is repentance and what it looks like. And we see this in the life of Onesimus. See, we've, we focus this whole time on Philemon, and, and it's good to do that, but think about Onesimus for a second. He is in Rome, and now he's, he, he's living like a free man. He comes to know Christ, and when he comes to know Christ, his life and his character is so transformed that he can no longer stay in Rome knowing that he's deserted, knowing even though that if he goes back to Philemon, 
which is right for him to do. If he does it, he might be killed or mutilated. That guy's character. To make that thing right, I mean, why not just convince yourself that you're okay to serve Paul there? Why not convince yourself that you'll find another good thing to do? No, his life is transformed. He shows character. And when you really repent, that's what happens. See, you can't just repent in your mind and then not change your behavior. It doesn't make any sense. It's not real then, right? And so he repents and he makes it right. And that's God's call in our lives too. Salvation is transformation. We should have a transformed character and a transformed life. I wonder if Paul had taught to Onesimus what Jesus said in Matthew 5.23. Now, Paul wasn't there then, but I'm sure this was a verse that just astounded all of them. And Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if thou bring a gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against you, you know, somebody's upset about you with something, there, there's something between you, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And Philemon says, I can't continue pretending to worship God when I know I've wronged my brother and that there's something between us and we're not reconciled. And so he leaves Rome and he goes and makes it right with Philemon. We learn from Onesimus what true repentance looks like. So the question is, what happens with Onesimus? What happens? Well, we don't know clearly from Scripture, but I'll I'll tell you something that I think is kind of neat. Fifty years after this event... One of the early church fathers named Ignatius, he wrote letters to, to the churches, and when he wrote to Ephesus, he wrote praising their bishop, Onesimus. That's interesting. Bishop is a pastor. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's not another Onesimus. It doesn't mean it couldn't have been another guy. But I think it's interesting. Onesimus doesn't strike me as a really common name. And he's writing to say, hey, listen, your, your, your pastor there, your bishop in Ephesus, he's doing a good job. And so I wonder if that's what happened. In any case, I think that that with all of these lessons, maybe the greatest lesson that we can learn from tonight is the fact that God can save a slave owner like Philemon, that he can save a runaway slave like Onesimus, and that he can have a wonderful plan for both of their lives, that he can use them. And he can use them to demonstrate to us what grace looks like. This is a picture, a postcard of the grace of God. And the truth is, our lives should be postcards when people look at us, when they view our lives, even for a moment, they should see what God's grace looks like. I'll finish with the, the, words of, the closing words of that song that we began with. Remember the song on forgiveness? He finishes with, It'll clear the bitterness away. It can even set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do, so let it go and be amazed by what you see through the eyes of grace, the prisoner that it really frees is you. I want to finally set it free, so show me how to see what your mercy sees. Help me now to give what you gave to me, forgiveness.